Welcome to All the Social Ladies, a podcast bringing you candid conversations with the boldest women in digital marketing. I'm Carrie Kirpin, CEO of Likeable Media, and let's get into the show. I'm so excited to share with you my interview with Niharika Shah, the Vice President, Head of Brand Marketing and Advertising at Prudential Financial. We had a really interesting discussion about the power of listening to everyday people and highlighting their stories in order to unite around the financial wellness challenges that we all face. But few of us actually talk about. I think you guys are going to love this one. Take a listen. Welcome, Niharika, to the show. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. I'm so excited to be here and to be in your studio, which is a big, fun twist for me. Fabulous, right? (laughs) Fabulous, fabulous. Okay, so I've walked into this beautiful building. I've walked into this beautiful studio. And here you are at the helm. I would love to know, along your career path, getting here, what moments do you feel really defined your career? What helped you get to where you are today? Sure, Carrie. I think moments are sometimes a lifetime in the making. There is no such thing as instant success. It takes, you know, it's hard work over 20 years. But I do think that moments, whether they come about from a series of fortunate or unfortunate events and and luck and opportunity and, and capability, for me, I think I looked back and thought about this this weekend. And in fact, I had my own little mini focus group of sorts with my husband, who I've known since high school. So he's, wow. seen, he's seen me and my, and my daughters who keep it straight and real. So I think the first one was, so my undergraduation is in engineering. I'm a computer science engineer. And I've always thought about what benefit has that given me in the world of marketing. And I didn't really set out to become a marketer. I think the career found me Mm. as opposed to the other way around. I do have an MBA in marketing and entrepreneurship, but that came after the fact. So I think the first defining moment was at that sitting at that intersection of technology and marketing and realizing that I had something unique to bring as the world was transforming around the digital revolution. So I've worked a lot on digital transformation and so on. So, But the fact that I got both sides of the equation, I think, was really a valuable tool and a skill that I could bring in ways that many other people couldn't. So I think it's that- unusual. It's unusual to have the technical background and go into marketing. And so that's, that's a real differentiator. How do you think it benefited you? In so many ways, because I think, you know, technology for its own sake has no use. It's it's when technology is used to solve problems mm. in a way that cannot be solved before, which marketers think about, right? And then it's the idea of how do you bring a product as a product, but how do you make your product usable using technology? And then that becomes a solution, right? I think marketers today, you know, have to walk that balance and actually have to bring both sides of the brain, the left and the right. There's a story in every data point and every story is more compelling when it's based on real data, Mm. you know, because you got to hit them between the head and heart. Yes. And I think that two-sided thinking is what has really helped. And and I think when I realized that, I think that was a defining moment in my career. I think the second one, and this may be a little antithetical to what you might expect, was having children. Mm. I think it gave me having children, especially growing up in the consulting world where, you know, you're only as smart as the last idea or or you're paid to say the smartest thing fastest in the room. You, You become a certain way. And I think having children has taught me, has given me perspective. Um, I've become patient 
And I've understood the value of perseverance, like not no such thing as immediate return on investment when it comes to your children. Yes. Right? You, you have to yes. stay at it. And that has changed me as not only as a person, but as a leader and, I, and also the way that I approach my work. And I think the third thing, which is, you know, my background, like I said, was in digital transformation, marketing, e-commerce, worked retail, CPG. And here I am, part of my responsibilities is running an advertising agency. And having done that and then launching a campaign, the state of us, it's early days, but getting that through at a time that was very hard both with what was happening externally, the polarization, yes. as well as internal transformation. You know, Prudential's making some heavy invis- investments and pivots and towards customer centricity. So bringing that campaign and the way that it is, the way that it is unique, and I think really going to be a defining moment for Prudential as a company, as a brand. And I say, this is not an ad campaign. It's our promise to the world. And for me to be able to contribute and steer that has been, I think, one of the most satisfying, but also defining moments of my career so far. Fabulous. So I I saw the campaign. I loved it. Yeah. When I was looking at it, I thought about how, was this produced internally? So a combination. So I think, you know, just talking about my role, I manage my internal agency, which is fabulous. It's full service. I think can stand toe to toe with any other external agency. But we also partner with Droga5, who's our agency of record in terms from a brand standpoint. So usually the idea lives in the center and it's executed between the two agencies, depending on what makes sense. Fabulous. Talk to me about that decision a little bit about building an internal agency, the trends, everything that we've seen is that this this is the direction that larger brands are going in, building an internal group that can be nimble, that can be fast, that can really help elevate the conversation around the brand. Talk to me about how that started and how it's going. Sure. So the internal agency actually has been at Prudential for over 20 years, Wow! but has transformed significantly. I think initially it was a very wise move purely for media efficiency, you know, consolidating the media so that we were not cutting each other or bidding against each other or the different businesses. I think it was pure economies of scale, right? Fast forward 10 years where I think the idea of, and then they brought an executive on board who came from the client service area. And they brought a certain sensibility of partnership, of client service. And then I think as as my predecessor and I came on board, it was really the transformation of the agency into what I would call a strategic partner and a mm. brand steward. That was right about the time that we said, you know, we needed a branded house strategy. That's when Bring Your Challenges emerged. For me even though I don't come from the financial services background and have worked with marketing consulting agencies and ad agencies a little bit in my past, it was obvious to me that the way that the media fragmentation was occurring and and the way that brands and businesses needed to compete was integration and orchestration. And doing that from the outside was A, impossible, B, frustrating. You know, you were one part of seven different agencies brought to the table and you pretended to kind of talk and integrate, but it was not true integration. So for me, the the idea that true integration needed to happen from the inside out was compelling. And I think that's the value that the in-house model brings, which is the inside edge, as we call it, right? It's, it's the proximity to the business. It's the ownership of the brand. It's really being able to integrate across paid, owned, earned, you know, our employer channels, our wholesaler channels, bringing it all together. That being said, 
I think I also look at my model as a hybrid one, mm-hmm. which is think of it as a bell curve, if you will, right? I outsource or partner where we need that external pull, like a Droga 5, or we have their new capabilities like animation or, mm-hmm. or virtual reality that I can, we cannot invest in here and we need the experts, right. right? So we will partner with agencies or vendors or other solution companies there. And then I look at the trailing edge of that bell curve and I look for opportunities to outsource, which are just either efficiency plays, mm-hmm. Like, you know, HTML production, for example, there's no way. Or in some cases, outsourcing what I would call the technical platform management of a paid search keyword management, right? It's just very heavy, data intensive. It makes sense to outsource that today. That might not make sense. And the whole idea is that this model is actually an always on flexible model. So what stays in and the core capability of the in-house agency and what is outsourced or externally bought or retained, uh, you know, varies with time. It's a good way to think about how you can provide value to an organization that has a strong in-house agency that's been around for a long time. And the, the bell curve really brings that to life. When you have a good combination, you come up with something like the state of us. So tell us about the state of us. I want to hear all about it. And our, for our listeners who haven't seen it yet, it's fabulous. I recommend looking at it ASAP, but fill us in. Sure. The state of us is the labor of love. I think it's such an amazing platform that we've just begun to scratch the surface off. But the idea was first and foremost born from what I would call three different forces coming together. One is the external environment. You know, there was a lot of, that is still a lot of talking to and at, not enough listening. I think the polarization of people and ideas. The second, I think this idea that we've thought about the future and I think financial services has put so much energy around getting people to engage in what is distant gratification, but people are really feeling the pain here and now, right? And I think alongside that was was the transformation of our business strategy, which is, you know, we have been a long-term oriented company, but we also realized that to enable long-term financial success and financial wellness, you actually have to take care of the here and now as well, right? So our capabilities have transformed as such. And I think the third and final, which is the most interesting creative insight into this campaign, was we conducted a first-of-its-kind financial wellness census. And we asked people of, you know, general pop questions around objectively how they were doing with their finances, which are the numbers and the sense, but also layered on subjectively, you know, how do they feel about their prospects? How do their finances make them feel? And, you know, when you can put all of that and distill it into a two by two, you get something really interesting, which is on the top right are people who are feeling good and they're doing good. But guess what? In the bottom right, you've got people who are actually doing okay, but they feel insecure. Mm-hmm. And as a brand, we can do something about that. And then you've got people on the top left, you know, like life's going to turn out okay. But, you know, how do you bridle that that optimism? The optimism without it being magical thinking. Right. Yes, and, and then give them a path to success. But at the end of the day, when you, I just took like a you know, five feet back look at that. So you could, there's amazing data and trends and all of this and demographics, et cetera. But I said, you know what we've actually done? We've captured people's relationship with money mm-hmm. and it's broken. Mm-hmm. 
if you think about a healthy relationship, what you do and how you feel about it need to match. Yes. And we were finding that for two thirds of America, that was not true. Mm -hmm. So that was sort of the ingoing premise. And then we started going into what are the issues that stand between people and their financial wellness? Yes. So at, at the very heart of it, State of Us is actually taking on those issues, right? Whether it's student debt, saving for retirement, because you're living longer, you need to plan right. as such, women not having confidence in their mm -hmm. financial decisions. Mm -hmm. You know, by 2030, there's a stat that says 50% of America will be self-employed. Yes. How are we going to manage our finances at that time? Yes. So we started with those issues at hand. And as much as marketers, you know, love to talk about listening and social listening and research and all of that, my point of view is listening is not a back office function anymore. To demonstrate listening is actually a brand value today. And that is what the execution of State of Us is, which is we are not an ivory tower company. We're going to go down and we're going to ask you mm -hmm. what you think about these mm -hmm. issues and how you're taking them on and, and the challenges that you're facing. So it is a demonstration of how America and Americans are dealing with the financial challenges that, that stand between them and wherever they want to be. We also discovered that financial wellness is not a once and done. I think people inherently understand that it's a journey. Yes. And uh, what it means for me might mean something very different for you, which is fine. I think we also discovered that we as a society have come a long way in talking about health and wellness, you know, beyond just the physicality of yes. it. I think we talk about social wellness, we yep. talk about mental wellness, sexual wellness, but financial wellness still seems to be on the other side of the taboo line. And if nothing else, if I personally and my team can get that a little bit on the other side of the line, I think we will call it a success. For sure. One of the things that I loved about the campaign for me is that sometimes you live in your own bubble about what financial wellness means. When you're living in New York City and you're in this rat race and you're in this one world, you're kind of in a bubble. And yeah. so when you're showcasing the smallest town in America and you're showcasing all of these things, like you really see that it's a topic that we all have in common and yet think about and talk about so differently. It was like so eye-opening in that I'm way to me. I'm so glad you're saying that yeah. because one of the inherent beliefs I had, and I thought this campaign would demonstrate it, especially at the time you know, of polarization and so on, is that we have more in common than what divides yes. us. And that's what this campaign is about. Yeah. It is the collective state yeah. of us, which I think you know, we, we are united in the challenges that we face. Some may be more acute for us, for some than others. Yes. But on the other hand, I think we all want the same things. Yeah. I loved it because it felt bigger to me. It just, it really tapped into the need to find common ground. And the other thing that I love is the podcast that you launched. This was before State of Us, yes. right? Okay. It's really kind of similar in your listening topic, right? Yes. You're, you're taking everyday people and telling the stories of their bravery and how they demonstrated bravery. Tell me a little bit about how the podcast came to be and what went into the decision to pursue podcasting as an avenue. So one of the things that Prudential offers is life insurance. Yes. And if you think about it emotionally, life insurance is confronting mortality, yes. your own mortality. Yes. And when you confront it and you take action towards protecting your loved ones or our others, it is an act of bravery. And that's where we started. 
we often celebrate as a society the, the heroic acts and which is which is great i think we get great stories out of it mm-hmm. but what about the little acts of bravery a woman sitting at the verge of of a divorce and then for her to decide that this is what i want to do and and of course all the implications that come with it it is an act of bravery and so we said you know forgiving someone i think one of the stories we had earlier was forgiving someone who shot them and the process that they went through was an act of bravery yes so th- the most recent series features a woman who was looking to set up her own food truck and for her that was you know a big life moment but then we decided okay if we're encouraging people to take these acts of bravery and model them why don't we pair them with an expert who can actually help them with the financial implications and 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 so on and so forth. So I think it's actually become more of a program than just a podcast series. Yes. There's a Victor Borge quote I think who said something like the shortest distance between two people is a smile. Mm. And I think the shortest distance between a brand and an individual is a story. I'm just looking to create and shorten those distances mm. between us and the people that we we impact or can impact. So when you're looking at something that is pure beautiful storytelling, right? We're looking at something like everyday bravery and you're measuring the success of something like that. Are you measuring that based on how many people are listening or are you trying to tie it back to the ROI within the brand itself? How do you decide whether or not it's successful? I think especially for a company like Prudential where when we don't see instant yes. business metrics Correct. pay off i think we look at all across the funnel and you know i'm a marketer yes. so i'll i'll talk funnel yes. so for me this categorizes on top of funnel so our metrics and our kpi are different but diagnostically i'm always looking for the calls to action and how much are they driving engagement and eventual conversion and consideration along the funnel I think when you when you look at top of funnel and I I talk to marketers about this all the time on the podcast some of it is a bet right you think like which stories will move which will garner the attention which will engage the audience and then as you get further down it's more science but the the top of the funnel in a way is just art you're trying things that resonate that match with the brand that are great stories and it's never been more important than it is today exactly. and and i think this battle between brand marketers and performance marketing is an oxymoron yes. because i think that it's actually brands should perform and performance should be led by what the brand stands for but i do believe that relevance is the contemporary metric of brand equity today mm. and for brands like us that don't live in people's wallets being relevant between those moments of consideration is very very hard to do but needs to be done so you know we're ex- we're investing with the media fragmentation we're investing in experiential marketing and so we recently developed the escape room which i'm not sure you've heard of, of co- i know escape rooms you mean like escape escape the room oh you must do this so what do you it, mean it, you have one we do it's called the prudential escape room and where, essentially where you it? escape from the the basement of your parents house to eventually in retirement but it's fabulous it's like a three room experience where is it so it's it's mobile we can basically bring it to wherever location so we're bringing it to events we're bringing it to client it's conferences brilliant. it's lovely there are financial concepts that are put into these nifty yeah. puzzles and it's it's you know financial services doesn't have to be boring it, it can actually be fun and it's so essential i think to wellness overall so i th- i think we're seeing some really good feedback 
That's fabulous. I mean, it's a taboo and difficult topic when we talk about our money. It's funny. I was reading something from Susie Orman or from somebody about how everyone should tell each other what they make and what they do. And and I realized like the discomfort that you feel with that is because it is such a taboo topic and, and money and like, oh, how much life insurance do you have? It's, it's, it's taboo, but it really shouldn't be because if we all talked about it a little more, we would probably be able to make better decisions. I, at least I think so. I completely agreed. And even in a smaller space, like we, we actually had a campaign that we launched. It's a, what I would call a mid funnel campaign called conversations. And initially it was created for couples nearing retirement. So think of mm-hmm. 50 plus. So we put husband and wife, we put partners together, yep. you know, younger, older, diverse. And the difference in responses to very simple questions mm-hmm. that the two people had was really funny, but also showing that they themselves hadn't had that conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, it was going even things like, um, where would you retire? You know, the husband says Florida, the woman says Spain. Yes, a hundred. I can totally, <laughs> totally relate to this because my husband and I also had to get like together about what it meant for retirement. And you have to have the conversations. You really do. And I will tell you, the more we can get people to have the conversation before they need to have the conversation is how we will all be on a better path to being financially well. It's essential. Okay, Naharka, we are heading on over to the lightning round. Oh my gosh. Are you ready? I am so ready. I came ready. I was born ready. You were born ready. We are going to (laughs) go right in and I'm going to ask you three questions. And you're going to answer the first thing that comes to your mind. Ready? Yes. Okay. One piece of advice you would tell your younger self. Don't take things so seriously. Give yourself the permission to fail. Okay. Next question. What's the biggest risk you've taken in your career? Taking this job. Really? Yes. Fabulous. I actually love to hear that, taking this job, this particular one you're in, and look at all that you've done. Pretty awesome. Okay. Next one. Last one. If someone only knew you from your social media, that's your personal social media, what three words would they use to describe you? I think my Facebook self and my LinkedIn self are two different things, but let's go with Facebook. Yeah, let's go with Facebook. Fun, goofball, family-oriented, foodie. Love it. Love. (laughs) Naharka, I'm so excited to have you on the show today. You are one fabulous social lady. And thank you for having me in this beautiful studio. Thank you. Pleasure, really. That was all the social ladies. Don't miss new episodes every week. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And if you like what you heard, please rate and review the show. I'm Carrie Kirpin, CEO of Likeable Media and author of Work It!, Secrets for Success from the Boldest Women in Business. Follow me, at Carrie Kirpin, everywhere. And for more social smarts, be sure to follow Likeable, at Likeable Media. Thanks for listening. 